Chief John Tortoise Myers, a Coe Indian, was born in a small Indian village in California in 1880. After attending Dartmouth College, he joined the New York Giants as a catcher in 1909 when he was almost 30 years old. He played in the major leagues nine years from 1909 to 1917 with the Giants and with the Brooklyn Dodgers. He caught Matthewson and Mark Ward. He batted 332 in 1911 and 358 in 1912. By far the hardest hitting and most respected catcher in the major leagues in that era. I met the Chief many times because the Chief would fly to New York with the Los Angeles Dodgers. The Chief never lost an opportunity. So he let Mr. O'Malley know that he used to play for the Brooklyn Dodgers back in 1915 and 1916, and that he was available for anything that the Dodgers would like to have him do. He didn't ever get asked to do anything, but Mr. O'Malley had an open invitation that the Chief could go anywhere that the Dodgers went at the Dodgers' expense. So the Chief would fly to New York with the Dodgers, and he'd call me up, and he says, I'm here. And he'd be at the Biltmore Hotel with the team, and he'd say, come on over, have dinner. I hung with the chief. I would stick right next to the chief, and we'd go to the Shea Stadium on the Dodgers team bus, and we'd come back on the team bus, and we'd sit in the clubhouse while they were getting dressed and while they were changing into the street boat. We would be hanging around, eating the uh, repast that they had after the game. Oh, they had good food after the game. So we were all welcome, the chief and anybody with him. It was an honored guest. I had a ball with the chief. <laughs> chief wanted to talk about baseball. The chief, oh, he couldn't wait to get on the bus and grab it. He'd look around and see who, who, what ball player was sitting in a seat with nobody sitting next to him. Then he'd make a dash for that place so he could talk to a ball player. And I can still remember the day that he spied Maury Wills sitting by himself. Boy, you couldn't hold the chief back. He got that seat next to Maury Wills before anybody else had a chance. It didn't take him a second. I don't know if Maury Wills knew who this old guy was who was sitting next to him. But if he didn't, he learned pretty soon because the chief wanted to talk about base stealing, catching, base running, how he can read different pitchers. The chief was with it, and he had a great time traveling with the Dodgers. He loved the game of baseball. He loved everything about it. When the Dodgers lost... He'd poke me in the ribs and say, when we go in the clubhouse, be quiet. They're not happy. You know, they lost today. And he would put on a sorrowful expression and make sure that not to disturb the, the quietness. And when they won, he'd say, oh, boy, they won. Everybody's going to be happy. Let's get some good food. <laughs> he was terrific. There was one other thing I should mention about the chief. The chief was a practical joker. One day when I was with the chief at Chase Stadium, he had a package with him. He said, I have here a present from Mr. Weiss. George Weiss was a general manager of the Mets at the time. He said, I have a present from Mr. George Weiss. Let's go give it to him. <laughs> so I followed the chief up to the general offices of the Mets. He has this bottle full of stones, pebbles. He says to Mr. Weiss, he says, Mr. Weiss, he says, we haven't seen each other since 1917. He says, when I managed the New Haven team in the such and such league and you were the general manager. 
And Mr. Weiss says, yes, it's good to see you, Chief, after all these years. And Chief says, I brought here with me a gift and appreciation and memory of all those years in New Haven, Connecticut. And he says, Mr. Weiss, I have here some pebbles that were given to me by the Kwakiutlin. <laughs> some stones, he called them stones, by the Kwakiutl Indians. One time when I made it, when I toured Alaska. <laughs> and, uh, and Mr. Weiss knew the chief very well, but he didn't break a smile. He solemnly said, thank you, chief. I really appreciate this. And the chief said, here they are, and bowed, and we left. <laughs> and I said to the chief, it's really pedals from the Cockfield Indians. He says, I had there's some stones from my basement, he says. <laughs> well, he said, I thought it would be a nice gesture. <laughs> oh, the chief was wonderful. Fantastic. The chief was fantastic. Were there many Indians in Riverside when you grew up here? Oh, no. There, there used to be a rancheria down there when I was... But they finally got pushed away to the hills. And they... You weren't on a reservation of any sort? Oh, I, I lived... I, I was on... When I was a young fellow, we lived on a reservation. For a time, went to school on the reservation. How did you get signed up with your first organized team? Who signed you? Well, it... Well, I don't know. I never had any scouts in those days or anything. You're, you're thinking modern. There's nothing like that. You just push yourself in. If you like to play ball and they saw you, they took you, that's all. And you proved yourself. And the game was uh, not a well-thought-of game like it is today. Now, you're uh, today, is uh, mostly college men in there and everything, and they're admitted to the first-class hotels and all that sort of thing. We were just a second-class citizen. We weren't even worse. I didn't know Prior that. to that time, why, baseball was a rowdy game. It was well, it wasn't thought of. It was just like the, it was like the sailors in Boston, <laughs> in the park, in the commons. No sailors allowed. <laughs> Were you a pretty tough bunch? Well, you had to have guts or you wouldn't stay there. That's all there was to that, even on your own ball team. How did they treat you, a rookie coming up? Well... I don't like to say this, but uh, in those days, I was a foreigner. I didn't belong. I was an Indian. In those days, those tough babies, they didn't consider a youngster at all. He was in there after his job. I remember when I broke in with the, with the Harrisburg Club, they had a whole lot of old timers on there. And uh, the managers told me to put the stuff on, I did. This pitcher was a spitball pitcher. He, I wish I could think of his name, this old distracted globe of mine, pardon my Shakespeare. And the first ball he pitched, he hit me right in the belly with it. Because I'd called for a fastball, he threw me a spitter. <laughs> he crossed me up all the way. And there I was, a young fellow behind the bat being crossed up. So I didn't say nothing anymore about it. Next inning, I, I didn't give him any signs at all. He says, what's the matter not giving any signs? I says, what's the use? I says, you go ahead and pitch. And I caught him. I wasn't expecting anything. And when it came time to bat, I had no bat. We used to carry a bat in those days, and I got a bat bag, you know, yet. 
carried a bat and a suit and suit, uniform and glove and everything. We didn't have the, we weren't pampered pets like they were today. So I had no bat and I went to pick up a bat and some guy says, hey, Busher, drop that bat. So I looked at the manager and I says, I haven't got any bat, I said, just like that. You know, he went over there and grabbed a bat and handed it to me. I had no choice of bat or anything. First of all, it was kind of high and inside at the old head. <laughs> kind of tamed me down, you know. <laughs> I figured it'd be like that. It was tough. However, on the next pitch, I hit one into the Susquehanna River <laughs> and win the ball game. Did you think you'd make the Giants? Yeah, well, I I always thought I was good enough for anybody as far as that goes. I always, I never belittled myself in baseball. Here you were, a kid going up there at that time. Weren't you frightened? Well, I never got up there until I was 28 years of age. I was quite old at the time, you know. I've had to exaggerate a little bit about my age. When I went up there, I took off a couple of years, but that didn't help. See, I started playing ball when Dewey took Manila. Is that right? Are you just saying that, or is that yeah, true? Yeah, I started playing in the, in the minor, you know, in the in the bushes. In 1898? Yeah. I'll yeah. be done. You won a pennant in 1911. You won it in 1912, 13. 13. You were second in 1914. Yeah. And what happened the next year, in 1915, when you ended up eighth? What happened there? That was a funny deal. A little dissension got into the club. Some of them didn't know it and some did. But it came to me, I knew it. I knew that there was dissension there. The women, the wives. Mr. John Foster had the women all sitting in the box to themselves, the women. And when Hubby made an error or Hubby did something out there that wasn't right, a hubby can do no wrong, you know. They know, you know that. Mrs. So-and-so say to this, you know, and they got to fight. You know how women will fight among themselves. Female of the species is the deadly of the two. <laughs> <laughs> well, after that, the women never sat together anymore. Oh, yeah? No. And women's actions, they, they don't have to talk. They can make it so darn disparaging that they, that they come home and tell their hubby about it, you know. Well, that stuff got down in the clubhouse. And some of the fellows that had wives sitting up in that box together, why well, they wouldn't speak to one another. It's not a team anymore. Finished absolutely last. That old word harmony has got to be there. That wins penance. What was Maddie like? Oh. Wonderful character, lovely character, gentleman in every way. In those days, he was uh, bothered so by the public. He was very distant. He was hard to get acquainted with. But among a teammate, he was a, strictly a team man. If you made an error or anything behind him or anything of that sort, he'd come and pat you on the back and say, you know, he didn't do like some of the pitchers today, get surly about it and one thing or another. We loved to play for him. We did, we break our necks for that guy. Who called the game, Matthewson or you? I call it. But if you don't feel right about it, why well, he shakes his head. 
Did he often shake you off? No. Man, he never shook me off. Yeah, I don't think he ever walked a man from being wild. That is, no control. The only time he ever walked on anybody was pitching too fine to him, you know, not letting him get a good ball. But there was never a time that he couldn't throw that ball over the plate. 69 innings without a walk. I understood he was a very, very good checker player. That's what made him a great pitcher. His wonderful retentive memory. Anytime you hit a ball hard off of him, you never got another one there. <laughs> Those fellas back there, they use their head in baseball a whole lot. You hear them talking, they talk baseball, morning, noon, and night. McGraw could tell you, call games eight and nine, ten years old, where the ball was hit to and so on, so on. The smartest man we had on the ball club was the bonehead, Mr. Merkel. What a misnomer. Mr. McGraw never consulted anybody on the ball club. In the case of strategy or anything of that sort, he never asked Matty, he never asked me or anybody else on the ball team. He'd say, Fred, what do you think of that? One of the smartest men in baseball, Fred Merkel. The games were over so much quicker then. Too. Oh, well, they played ball then. In those days, you know, the market didn't stop at 3 o'clock. And they were way downtown. They'd get on that elevated train and, oh, four or five trainloads had come up there at the time. They'd come two, three thousand, come up from Wall Street, all good fans. They held the game till four o'clock for those people because in those days, you know, they didn't draw like they do nowadays. We played a ball, we always played a game less than two hours. We never got it. We never, two hours was a long game. Really, it really was a long game. We play a lot of games, an hour and a half. I played a game an hour and 58 minutes one time. But I mean, one hour. Wow. The pitcher pitched and that's that. You can take a pitcher nowadays why he, he, huh, he wastes more time out there, you know, fixing his cap and rubbing his chin and wiping himself off and scratching the ground with his feet and, and everything, you know. They waste an hour or so every day. No, nowadays you you do a pitcher will pull up his pants and do this and wipe his uh, and wipe his head off and pull his nose and he's got more darn mannerisms out there, you know. And if he stands still for a few minutes and tries to kill time that way, the umpire will call him. But if he's in motion and he looks around the outfield and here and then he stares down there, you know. A lot of bull, you know, he's afraid to throw the ball. Then he turn around and look at the bullpen and see if he can't get some help. They took a pitcher out in our day, in those days, why, it was a disgrace. We had old pitchers like Joe McGinnity that go out there and pitch two games in, a, in an afternoon. <laughs> Funny darn thing. He pitched one there. We all took him out in about 30 innings. Yes, was he sore? No, he come in crying. Well, you take that. He says, you know I can beat that ball club? He says, sure, I know you can beat the ball club. But he says, I want you to pitch the next game. Oh, he's, oh he says, he says, go ahead and change your shirt. <laughs> Loved to pitch, wanted to pitch. Not saying any disparaging thing against the athletes. The athletes are just as good and just as fast. 
Now there were in those days, in fact, they're faster, I think. And they got the equipment that we didn't have. It's just like pole vaulters, like Sonny Jim. High over the fence he goes, he just boosts over. Of course, we we didn't have anything, even the gloves now. The, the gloves are similar to a cross net. You just catch the ball in the net. Nowadays, they strike out. 100 strikeouts, 150 strikeouts. Gosh, we didn't strike out. I hit again Walter Johnson in exhibition games, and he never struck me out. Is that right? But I'm telling you, that Walter could buzz him by you. He sure could. Boy, he had stuff. Don't think he didn't. He's the fastest man I ever saw in baseball. I hit against Rube Waddell. We hit the ball. Here they are, you know. I had a little bit of old thin-handled bat, and there's a bat of mine over there in the corner. You just try and lift it. Is this one of the? <laughs> this is one of the bats you That's used. That's my bat. Yes. How heavy is this? Well, I don't know. Must be about forty-eight ounces. Forty-eight, I guess, better than that. There nowadays, they got a whip. There's, there's over there. There's one over there. There's a bat over there that belongs to Babe Ruth. Really? Yeah, the feel of that one. In his day, he had a hefty bat. Yours is heavier. Oh yeah. Well, a modern ball player wouldn't would have nothing to do with that bat. Gee, where's money? I gosh, these guys getting some of those guys getting more dough than I could. Well, I wouldn't permit them to spit in my glove for God's sake. You know, for do. Well, I'm not belittling them. They, they're good, but they're smart. <laughs> they all have agents and so on. They, they believe in staying in the game and getting the money, and they get it too. Well, why not? Why shouldn't they get the money? We didn't get the money. Take, for example, Caruso. Caruso come over here and went in the theater. The best he could get in that theater with a supporting company of 40 individuals or more would be three to 4,000. The Metropolitan Met wouldn't hold over 4,500, because I've been there and heard Caruso. He makes 100 or $200,000. Well, he gets what's coming to him because he brings it in. He draws them. But baseball will get in there and he'll draw 40, 50,000. Who's getting all that dough? Who? Yeah. We were just dumb eggs. We played for, why oh gosh. I can remember Mr. John T. Brush, you know. He had a locomotive, a taxi, he's in a wheelchair. <laughs> this is laughable. Matty and I went up there for a race down Fifth Avenue, the office. The old battery coming in there, and Goodyear, Pennant, and all that. He looks up at us and he says, well, What's the purpose of this visit? And Matty's spokesman, of course. <laughs> he says, well, he says, uh, Mr. Brush, he says, we, we came in for a raise, asking for a raise. That old guy got up out of that wheelchair, you know. <laughs> he says, get out of my office. He says, don't come in at the gate. Don't come in at the gate. <laughs> well, <laughs> so we... He did, we did, he would hardly talk to us. 
So that was the that was the attitude in the old days, you know. Oh, Comiskey, a great sport. He paid the newspapers a whole lot. He didn't pay his ball players. No. Connie Mack, cheapest man in baseball. Clark Griffith, jeez. Why were there so many Indians in baseball back then? Chief Sokalexis, oh, well, Chief Bender, Jim Bender. Thorpe. Yeah, Jim Thorpe. Yourself. Jim Thorpe, that was a great athlete. A wonderful athlete. Jesus, he was Adonis. He was built like a Greek god. I, gosh, yeah, I roomed with him, you know, when he came back from the um, Olympics in 1912. He never could hit, could he? Oh, yes. He hit 300. He why didn't he stick? Well, I don't know why. Jim was, uh, his deportment wasn't any too good ever since he took those trophies away from him. One time he came in early in the morning and woke me up. He says, you know, Chief, the King of Sweden gave me those trophies. And he says the guy that finished second wouldn't take them. And that broke his heart. I think that was the most unkindest cut of all. He never got over that. The Indian was had a position of a minority group in those days. Oh, didn't no, he? that way yet. Nowadays you can't ridicule a, an Irishman on the radio. You can't ridicule a Jew, and you can't hardly ridicule a, a Negro. But they can kill us every night on the radio. They shoot us down and they make everything out of us all the time. That's one reason I don't look at anything but a ball game. I carry the news on the television. I like the news and the ball games and the news. And after the news is, why, then comes the killing. They're just shooting one another down and brainwashing all the children we got to kill their fathers and their mothers. That's what that's doing. This is a violent country, isn't it? Well, it's made them so. We never had that when I was a youngster or anything to teach us crime, teach you how to steal. And I think it's an awful bad example. I don't know why they shouldn't have some more control over it and teach people the good things of life. Kill us Indians, that's all they do with it. <laughs> Those things I don't like to talk about. I know them, I see them. Things that happen that go the wrong way, I try to forget. <laughs> well, why not? You know, and I guess that's the reason I'm 83 years old now, yeah. because I don't, any things that are obnoxious to me, I don't want it. I just pass it by, forget it. I guess you forgot all your World Series then, right? Exactly. <laughs>